Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Pack Filler Interviews. I'm Pat Bulger. Wow. <laughs> I guess I'm going to just start with a wow. What a week it's been putting this one together, you guys. For those of you who don't know it, we're coming to you from the great Pacific Northwest, right? Land of evergreen trees and, um, well, what at times feels like eight seasons of weather, sometimes in the course of one day. We have heat, we have cold, we have wet, we have dry, beauty everywhere. And the occasional biblical level storm. Why am I telling you this? Well, because last week was one of those storms. Locusts? Well, not this time. No locusts, thank God. The storm was in the form of a windstorm. And I know what you're thinking. Everybody has wind. Even potentially the 70 mile an hour gust of winds we had here. But add to that the recent warm and wet weather we had here in Great Spokane, Washington. Toss in a boatload of super tall pine trees. And above ground power lines, you know what what I'm about to talk about. You have yourself a mixture of power outages, smash roofs and cars, and plenty of stuff to throw out that warmed up in the refrigerator. So that's just my week that has been. And thanks to some flexibility from our guest and some wonderful flexibility from my father, whose house still had power. He was able to allow me to set up a small makeshift studio in his dining room. I'm not joking. And make this show happen. And uh, it, it's, thank God it happened. What a what a bright spot it was throughout the last week. Um, Matthew Stevens is exactly the guy you'd hope he was, you guys. Engaging, friendly, funny, really fun to talk to. What you see on video, what you hear on podcasts or race summaries and commentaries, that's him. That's really who he is. And so um, this is going to be a fun one for you. Before I get to the interview, I just want to let everybody know and get up to speed on the great changes that are happening here at the Pack Filler. As announced at the onset of the year, we are launching Club Pack Filler, a membership-based program that costs less than a patch kit and a pint of ale. I I kid you guys not. In return, you're going to get... Not only a membership package of products, clothing, gear, discounts, and fun, but so much more. Uh, Members are going to receive 
all of these interviews exclusively. These upcoming interviews are only going to be available to our members here as we get closer and closer. You'll have access to the show in the form of call-ins, in the form of uh, specific you know, uh, pages or links that you can actually participate in the show. You're going to receive free entry into all of our upcoming events that are happening throughout the year, both online, both DIY and also live and in-person events. You're going to have access to our members-only social media. So in other words, swag, discounts, events, access, and members-only content for the entire year. Our Pack Filler partners are lining up, and as the weeks progress, I'm going to announce each one of them on each upcoming program, along with their great offerings that they're going to be giving us. So you guys, this is going to be fun, and um, your, your membership fee is going to be paid back on just the initial shipping box of goodies that we're going to be sending you and then the rest of it is like you just you're just skating for free for the rest of the year so look forward to that club pack filler happening very soon so let's get to it shall we the one and only matthew stevens on the pack filler interviews all right today's guest is not only a former pro with the linda mccartney and sigma sport teams he's also a british national champion and one of the i'm gonna maybe you know kick it up a little bit too much here but one of the finest character actors ever to straddle the top tube he's also the reason many of us wake up in the morning watch bike races and click on the internet itself so let's welcome to the show the one and only matt stevens how are you man <laughs> uh, i'm very well thank you patrick thank you for uh inviting me on yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here well i didn't plan on um on directly stealing a bit from you but um I, i'm just to break the ice i'm going to do that and i also didn't plan on on video being a part of our equation here so but um, i what am I drinking now? Okay, it sounds it sounds like that might be a America like a an Americana with a bit of milk in it. You know, it's a coffee. Yeah, you're well. You you got the time the time constraints in perfectly there, so that was good. And it is definitely coffee, but I, I went black coffee, and I don't have a you cool. Yeah, I don't have a cool Renault mug like yours did, and I saw that as it passed through the screen. Oh, yeah, that was, sorry, yeah, I'm just uh. One of my mates got me this for Christmas last year. I have a Mapai one, a oh. Renault one, a Peugeot one, and a Faima one as well. So they're really, they're kind of cool, aren't they? Yeah. I really like them. Yeah. The best kits of all time, in my personal opinion. Would you agree? Exactly. Renault? I would yeah. say they're up there in my, in my, probably my top five, yeah. La Vie Claire would obviously be up there, too. You can't. Of course. Yeah, of course. absolutely. Of course. Well, first, <laughs> first of all, sir, how is your 2021 off to uh, in terms of a start here for things? Um... <laughs> Not too bad. I mean, we. I mean, without getting super negative and stuff, let's be let's be honest. <laughs> whatever your kind of, whatever way you kind of look looked at it and diced it up, 2020 was a difficult year, wasn't it? Um, but I've started off 2021 as positively as I can in terms of what I want to do. Obviously, we've got the vaccine. You know, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so, in all honesty, it's been pretty good. But obviously, like like most people around the world. I live just on the outskirts of London where, well, the whole country now is in tier oh. four lockdown. So complete lockdown. I go out on my bike a little bit, not much, for a, for a walk once a day, lunched at home. But I'm thinking towards the future, and I'm, you know, I've done a fair bit of work already this year. I've got a lot of projects that are going to be quite exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Is, what is cycling commentating like? Is it is basically, is everything kind of hanging on a balance or is it, or are there some guaranteed events that you know are going to be happening that you're going to be able to participate in? I'll be perfectly honest with you, Patrick. I, I've already been um, scheduled in for, uh, I, I work for a couple of companies um, in, just so 
you kind of understand how it kind of is divided up yeah the the, the commentary so as you know i work for eurosport which are now partly owned well they're owned by discovery and now they help their cycling coverage is uh, is run by global cycle network of course who i i was with a few years ago oh, wow. so that's quite interesting um and then i work for as now and again well quite a lot actually for rcs and they're the organizers of the giro d'italia so i i provide world feed commentary for those guys on site and that's what you guys in america will hear a lot of so generally anything to do with rcs you'll hear my commentary and my co-commentator um so i'm on site for all that stuff and at the moment i am penciled in for the uee tour which even with it with the current environment it looks like i am going um and i can travel to that but in relation to strada bianca milan san remo i'm, I'm penciled in for those but i don't know what I'm a, I know as much as you at the moment. I technically can't travel to Italy unless I isolate for two weeks right now. Oh, yeah. But hopefully in six weeks it will change. Oh, man. And just to be able to be there on site, I probably just the, the, the environment and the entire atmosphere has got to change the game completely, you know, rather than just sitting in your living room or something like that and just staring at a screen trying to figure out how things are going. Yeah, I, I think you're quite right. There's nothing quite like being on site. Um, although I would say for... 80% of the events that we do for Eurosport, we're actually in the studio in, in London, in, in a place called Chiswick. Um, and that's quite normal because it, there's a big cost saving there. But for the big races, like the Grand Tours, um, we have been on site. But for this year, or last year, should I say, for the first time, um, most a, a lot of networks were off, off tube. So they, they weren't there. But I was. I was at the Giro. Um, but yeah, there's, there's pluses and minuses. But I think you kind of do feel part of the race, although you're not competing. The fact you're there on the finish line, you kind of, you can engage a bit with the teams, you travel the kind of uh, transfers, you travel part of the route, you speak to the fans uh, and you get the kind of lowdown. So it is quite wonderful to be a part of the race. I mean, you know, you can still do a very good job when you're off to you, but there's nothing quite like being on site, I must admit. So before I get too far into the future, uh, let, let's let's reminisce. Let's go back a little bit, shall we? Uh, tell me about your history in the sport and what got you into cycling and how this this entire creature was born. How long have you got? It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, essentially, um, <clears throat> I was really into sports as a kid at school. You know, a runner, football, um, and I rode to school on my bike. My father was um, into all sorts of sports. He was a police officer. But he and he was in the army before that in the armed forces and, and dabbled in boxing, cycling, running, football, rugby, all the kind of sports. Just so we had a real there's a real we just and sport was on the TV all the time in our house. Um, and I played football at school, was a runner, rode my bike recreationally. Then I got an injury to cut a long story short. I was quite a good cross country runner, middle distance runner, got an injury, spoke to my doctor. He said, you know, you're going to be in a lot of pain as a youngster if you continue to to uh, to run. Um, I suggest you, you try another sport. And so my dad said, who was already a keen cyclist, why don't you try cycling? Um, so I, I did. I joined a local team, a local club, not a team, a local club. Um, and in 1986, I was 16 years of age, and my dad took me to see the Tour de France. And it was the year, of course, that iconic year when Le Monde won. He was out d'Huez with Dino, and I was there on out d'Huez um, oh. with my dad. And I, I honestly said to myself then, I, I knew that I was an all right bike rider even then. I kind of knew, I just felt, it felt okay, you know? Although I was tiny, 
my little my knees were wider than my thighs for god's sake <laughs> and my mum had to safety pin my short my lycra shorts because my they were just flapping around i was just like a little you know i was so i think it was sparrow um very very short of stature um but i said to myself god i think i want to be a professional cyclist um and then essentially that's what kick-started it off you know um that well that was that was the moment that was the time where i kind of I made a decision as a kid. <laughs> wow. So you did it that early. It was that, okay, I'm going to yeah. do this. And was that the path from there on out? It's like, I'm, I'm steely eyed yeah, focused on was, doing this. It, it was, if you, I've, I've, I have told um, various people this kind of story um, on numerous occasions, but I never really tire of it because it's, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm 51 now. And, uh, but my route to actually turning professional properly when I, I rode for the aforementioned Linda McCartney team in, in 2000. Um, was quite a long one. So I, I raced as an amateur in the UK um, pretty successfully, went to ACBB, the foremost amateur cycling team in yeah, France absolutely. at that particular time. Um, and then did three years there, learned a new language, um, you know, really embraced the French culture, really, really had a great time actually, just for as a young man growing up to, to be out of your comfort zone and experience something like that, regardless of any success, was, was just brilliant. It's just great for to help you kind of round out as a person. Uh, then I came home because the team actually turned professional. Then the, as is, as is cycling so often, um, it's very precipitous, isn't it? And the team folded at the end of 1992. Yeah. So I came home, worked full time, still wanted to be a pro. So I rode for like semi-pro teams in the UK. We had a reasonably decent scene. Then I got top 10 in the world in um, 1995, got approached by US Postal, that fell through. Anyway, eventually became British champion in 1998 whilst working full time and oh, then wow. got a gig with Linda McCartney for 2000. So finally then and then rode the Giro, etc. at 30 years of age. So it's quite a long, a long route uh, and it wow. involved working full time primarily. I just I, I had no idea about the U.S. postal concept and I could imagine how that all would have change the perspective of things uh, you know no 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 rumors or anything aside or or facts no, depending on how we want to look at hey, it look, I, you know, <laughs> I'm speaking, I was approached by Eddie Bolshevitz at the time oh, yeah um, um, and he they wanted a climber on the roster this is the very early days it's it's when so that would have been heading into 96 they still would have been sponsored by Subaru, Subaru I think. Montgomery you know, yeah, Subaru, yeah yeah so and they were getting I'm not too sure if they had postal on board at that point I think they were for 96 it was the fledgling US postal team um, so I, I said, yeah, let's talk. And obviously back then there's no, uh, no emails or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and it, it, and it basically, he left the team and Mark Gorski joined and, and they just didn't join up and, um, and they, yeah. and they, this wasn't that level of communication. So I was left out in the cold. So, and I was, yeah, I was a big blow, but Hey, that's life. I, I had my, my experience with Eddie quite a few, quite a few times when, you know, living at the Olympic training center and stuff like that in the day. So right. I, and he was one hell of a character, to say the least. So, <laughs> um, so d tell me about that British national champion win. Um, first of all, expected uh, surprise, and having to be working full time had to have been obviously to be able to achieve a result of that level and and to still achieve a national championships is is a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, um, I'd always. I was going really well. I had a good year. So 90, 97 wasn't a good year um, because I was, I think I earned in terms of, well, just towards my expenses for the whole year, 
500 pounds. So it's equivalent oh, yeah. of a $700 budget for an entire year. <laughs> so, uh, so basically you're just losing money, you know, and, uh, but I, and I was working full time at a, a shop in the UK a department store called Marks and Spencer, a very famous department <laughs> store working there just, you know, to pay the bills, pay the mortgage and right. And, but my, my place of work was 25 miles away. So I ride 25 miles to work. That's a 50 mile a day. Yeah. Five, five days a week. That's 250 miles. That's before I've even raced on a Sunday. Yeah. So good base miles, but obviously you've really got to work out, you know, when you're tired, you know, listen, I learned how to listen to my body really well anyway. But, and because I think, and it's fascinating, really, I think that during that time, although I was coming into my late twenties and physiologically coming to at or near my peak, the fact that I had only limited time to train meant that I trained a lot smarter. Yeah. And this is before power meters and stuff, but I doing a lot of in intensity work and resting a lot. Um, although there was quite a lot of volume there, most of that was really high end. Um, so I valued my time. So when I did, you know, and it was either resting or training really specifically. If and then, uh, yeah. And then it, uh, everything seemed to work out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, well, it was on the, on the day, um, funnily enough, I'd, I'd, I'd had good form all through the beginning of 1998, and I think I was ranked number one British rider at that time, racing domestically. Oh, wow, okay. Um, had a few wins, and then national championships came around, and it was on quite a fast course. Um, although I can ride pretty much any kind of course, I prefer a more attritional course with, with some climbs where there's a real kind of wearing down process because I'm not the most explosive rider, but give me, but after four hours, I can generally, I can generally roll with the punches and start to deal it out. You know, when that fatigue really starts to set in, I think that was my, uh, that, that I think I was blessed naturally with that ability, but it was on a fast course. We averaged it, the race finished. We, we did 27 and a half miles an hour back then oh, um, yeah. on a really fast course with just a few little drags on it. And I was working in the Harrods team because we looked at the course and it wasn't really a course for me. I was actually working for Chris Lillywhite, who was a famous British pro who won the milk race yeah. um, back in the day, who now lives, bizarrely, 200 meters from where I am now. Like, literally, <laughs> it's just so... Anyway, and we go out on our bikes sometimes. Anyway, so I was working for him and we missed a big move early on. I helped put it back, rode for about 15, 20 miles on the front with a couple of teammates. We brought it back and then the race all split again. And I just managed to get in all these moves and... There was, and it was, and Chris was still there or thereabouts. Anyway, 20 miles ago, it, it, another split happened. I was just one of those days where you, you're just floating and everything goes right. Whatever you do, and these are rare, these are really rare days, it just seemed to be right. And although I'd spent a lot in terms of effort at the in the first 50 miles, I still felt really good. And I was like, okay, I feel really good here. And there was nine of us left in this front group. And Chris Lillywhite was there, Chris Newton, Rob Hales was there, Roger Hammond. And I looked around and thought, this is a pretty handy group. We got we got some yeah. some classics kind of specialists in their early years. Yeah. Half the national team pursuit squad. And uh, I was the weakest sprinter. So I said to Chris, look, I'm going to go. So you can sit on and they'll probably bring me back and you can win the sprint or go again. So 15 miles to go, I attacked from the back and never was seen again. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So that obviously, well, the, the, those results and everything like that, that brought on to uh, several different uh, pro teams within your career. You, you mentioned Harrods. Uh, we mentioned Linda McCartney and Sigma Sport. If you could briefly describe each of those teams, let's say one word each, what would you, what words would you use to describe each of those teams? Okay. 
Uh, Harrods, dysfunction, dysfunctional. <laughs> Linda McCartney, vegetarian. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sigma Sports, fun. Okay. I, I, I can't think of another word for it because I was back working as a, as a police officer while yeah. I was ra- racing with Sigma. But it was just fun. It was just my escape. So one word, just fun. It was great. It was great fun. Awesome. So what kind of eye-opening experiences tr- struck you in your time in the professional Peloton? Moments where you're just like, oh, what? Or something like that. Or anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be negative either, mind you. Um, <laughs> I think one – I do a lot of speaking uh, at dinners and stuff, and I always – depending on the audience, I kind of like try and come up with some anecdotes that are <laughs> suitable. Um, but there's always – I think my abiding memory of being in a pro peloton, regardless of uh, of obviously the dark times that that, that there were, you know, yeah. and, and the, the prevalence of doping um, throughout throughout the nineties, early noughties, was just strip away that and um, essentially good people ride bikes, you know, um, and there were some really kind of little moments that have stuck with me, and I'll give you two. Um, there's a lot of funny moments as well, but there was one moment actually it was before I turned pros in 1995, and it was in America actually. We were around, we were riding in um, around Red Rocks in Colorado. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, there's a, there was a circuit around there, and we we did two races. There was one round Red Rocks, and there was one round the U.S. Air Force Base, which had been the Worlds in '86 when Argentan won. Yes. Um. So, and yeah, I think Postal were riding actually. They might have been. Anyway, there was a lot of the teams and nations that had come over to prepare at altitude for going to Colombia, where the worlds were that year. Uh, obviously, riding in Colorado, you're at altitude already, you know, yeah. so we raced there. And there was this one big race around the US Air Force Base. And I was in this line out, flat out. I think Bobby Julek was was kind of there. Um, there was the Spanish team were there. And, and anyway, I was in this line out about fifth from the front. And my chain came off. So it came off the big ring and started to wrap around the crank. Yeah. And I thought, oh, shit. So I, I swung out the line. But then I felt this hand on my back. You know, the typical thing where you're out in a club run, you, you, you know, you have a problem. It's generally your chain coming off, isn't it? Somebody gives you a helping hand. I thought, yeah. that's nice. So I managed to get my chain back, look around to see who it was, and it was Miguel Indiran. <laughs> I'm like, so I'm this kid, 25-year-old kid, racing for Great Britain. Indiran is already like I don't know four times Tour de France winner, but he had the kind of he just give me give me a hand you know and it was it just it's just a lovely little moment that yeah. crystallizes essentially how you know generally good bike riders are you know that was that was a really cool little moment. Wow, thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah, can I have I your autograph? <laughs> yeah, I was like you know if I'd if I'd had a phone in my pocket which we didn't back then I probably would have asked for a selfie <laughs> mid race but hey. Uh, couldn't <laughs> so talk to me about the shift um, and I mean this is a complete compliment to becoming a, a, a professional wit and and this this commentator and and, and picking up a microphone um, was was that a natural tra- transition was it something that you were eyeballing in the future or was it just something you kind of fell into I think it's um, a combination of a few things because uh I'd always like watching TV and I was a bit of a, I used to goof around a lot at school and I was always a bit of a joker. Never really got into any trouble. I was just like, I just like having fun really. Yeah. So I wasn't really, I think I could have been quite academic, but I wasn't, I chose to goof around and I was good at sports. But anyway, so I kind of, 
liked making people laugh when I was really young. And then um, obviously followed the cycling kind of route, but always used to uh, like having fun, like, like anybody. That was one of the biggest, one of the reasons I enjoyed riding and racing so much was the atmosphere you get like in the changing rooms before the start of a race or traveling to a race with your friends or going out on a ride to a coffee shop or a tea room back then in the 1980s when it was in the UK yeah. and just having fun. So I, and I kind of, and somebody said to me back in, it might, it might even been Phil Liggett in like 1989 went out on a bike ride in, in, uh, in the kind of North London somewhere. And he, and he said, and I was asking him about commentating and he said, Oh, you, maybe one day you should try that. And I just, I was like, wow, that'd be, that'd be really cool. But I didn't aim for it. And then, finished being a pro quite suddenly was left with nothing essentially uh, no money uh, I had to go and sign on for benefits uh, ended up joining the police and kick-started my kind of cycling career at a national level while I was in the police but I think the one thing that I learned about the police um, very very quickly was that communication is just absolutely crucial I mean you see <laughs> Uh, I know it's pretty hard. I find it quite hard talking about police at the moment because they've got such a bad rap. Understandably, Jesus Christ, some of the things that you see just absolutely blow my mind. Disgraceful. But where I was... Me, don't get me started you know I mean? over here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's not talk too much about it. But um, I dealt in child protection. Um, I dealt with vulnerable women. I dealt with domestic violence, sex abuse cases um, at a really high level. And I, I had to deal with the victims and I also had to deal with the offenders. So, so I'm, I'm interviewing some of the most heinous, evil people you could ever imagine in the world, okay? Um, and then I'm, I'm also sh having to show empathy. We're not having to show it. You want to show it and, lo and yeah. looking after people. So communication became at the forefront of what I was doing. And, and I specialized in dealing with people who were vulnerable in really, really the most awful kind of sexual offense cases. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And riding my bike. And then I did a couple of interviews for some races that were on television when I was managing the Sigma Sports team. Um, and off the back of those, our ITV at the time said, hey, do you want to come and be a regular pundit for these criteriums in the UK? called the tour series so i said yeah and they said we'll give you a couple of hundred quid a day and i was thinking whoa okay i still worked and i'm thinking all right so i did that for about and then i then they said can you come and do the tour of britain as a pundit with uh, ned bolting so i was like whoa okay ex-pro you, you come across really well great and then it kind of snowballed and then i thought well okay this 
I'm going to send my CV to Eurosport, did. And then I went down to see the fledgling GCN channel doing the, yeah. um, on YouTube. And they said, yeah, come and, come and try out, you know, when they send you to the Vuelta. So basically, I had to make a decision then to leave the police, and, and I did. Uh, and it's a bit of a gamble. And, and then, it, it just, then it just carried on. Then it just snowballed, basically. Um, so it's a, a, co- a combination of live events, presenting, TV commentating, and making digital content for people. And it's just grown and grown and grown. So, so it, that's it in a nutshell. Does it come easily? <laughs> or is it uh, what tell uh, for those of us who don't necessarily see behind the curtain and things like that, um, the preparation, the things like that, is, is this more of a yeah, how much research and things like that do you have before you're going into an event or even a podcast? I'd like people to know that, you know, we do take yeah. notes and things. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like this, I always, I always carry around a moleskin. So this is my Thor Ragnarok. Nice. Uh, it's really quite nice. I thought yeah. this is my, this is last year's moleskin with Wonder Woman on the front. Oh my and that God. is full of notes for podcasts and stuff like that. All my notes. Um, and I carry it around, but for a podcast yeah i do probably two three hours just sit down yeah generally the day of the podcast because i've got so many different things going on if i start to pre-plan too much it will kind of with my very simple mind i have to just <laughs> go into one event in 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 a vacuum with that event then move on to the next or kind of so yeah. i basically do my research very close to doing it so i'm in that there's a continuum but yeah i do a lot of i, I do a lot of planning and a lot of preparation but once you're confident in the subject matter, you can then just relax a little bit and just have a conversation with somebody. And if, and if you're not, I mean, it, 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 it does take a while. And I've been around for a long time as well. And, um, and I've been, and the cops, again, I keep going back to that because that was so stressful. And talking about bike racing, which is what I love, is the least stressful thing that you can, it's just like a privilege to be able to yeah. do what I do. But the TV stuff's different. I just, um, yeah, I'm always reading every day on the internet um, about what's happening in the world of cycling every single day. And I don't find it. It's the first thing I do when I get up, like all of us, check emails and stuff. All the news websites, teams get, you know, I'm on, the, I'm on the press list for most teams. Just keeping um, an eye, follow most top riders on social media. And just so, so I'm, I'm constantly just in the game. Um, so that's why. But if. And if you take your foot off the gas and you do a couple of weeks without knowing what's going on, you can be caught out on a commentary, I tell you. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Tell me about the most, uh, I, I guess we'll start with enjoyable interview to date that you've had the opportunity to do. Or, or even a hero that you've been able to speak to or somebody you looked up to for a good amount of time. I think, I mean, my hero back in the 1980s growing up, I mean, um, I know some people haven't got kind of heroes and stuff, but I, I openly admit I, I had, you know, there were guys like um, Sean Kelly, yeah. Robert Miller, Greg LeMond, Bernard Hino, uh, Stephen Roach. They're all my, um, I had posted them on my wall, you know, in at home, along with Liverpool Football Club. I had football and cycling were what I liked as a kid. And then cycling became uh, the one that I kind of absolutely yeah. loved. So they're the guys on my wall. And then so when I was 17, I had them on my wall. And then when I was 19, I was racing against them in the Nissan Classic um, as, as, you know, in the Pro-Am. And it was like, so I, 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 the thing is, I raced against Le Monde, um, Robert Miller, Sean Kelly, Stephen Roach, uh, Fignon, Jeez. all those guys. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of straddled. And then like Cavendish and Bradley Wiggins and all those guys later, Pantani. So although I haven't been the most successful rider, I've actually 
raced against some of the biggest riders of all time, um, which is over four. I've raced in four decades. So that's quite, quite a lot. Wow. But yeah. I've, I've, there's so many good interviews. I mean, Greg LeMond uh, at the Rouleau Classic, sitting down with him and talking was just brilliant. I didn't have to, I didn't have to ask very much because he's such a chatterbox. You, yeah, uh, you give okay. him one thing and he's off, he's gone. And then you're just like trying to rein him in. You know, he, and I'd tell that to his face. He's like a puppy on a leash. It's like, whoa, Greg. But he's brilliant. And and so still just, he just loves it. So Greg, I think, and then re- more recently, Mark Cavendish, that, that weekend, I, well, a couple of days I spent in the Isle of Man for Sigma Sports. That was, that was a great interview. And it was, it was over a day and a half, different little scenarios that we set up. Um, and it's catching, not catching people off guard. That That's not what I'm, I try and do. It's just trying to make them relaxed and so they can open up and and trust and trust is the biggest thing when you're interviewing somebody if you if you feel if you get a good vibe off them and, and you trust them they will relax and they will be more open and the recent one i did actually the other day that's just gone out with hugh carthy yeah one hour 24 minutes jesus that <laughs> but he hardly says a word most of the time and yeah. somehow managed to get a great interview out of hugh i was really really proud of that one and the most difficult was there one that was? I mean, I, we don't have to call anybody out and say this person was no, a pain I, in the I, ass I'll or say something it, like Peter that. Sagan. <laughs> really? Is it a yeah, was it a language barrier? Because, or? Yeah, no, not because he's um, he was purposely being a dick or anything. He wasn't. He was just like being himself. <laughs> he's got that he wry is, kind of personality. Like he's always oh, yeah. looking at you through the side of his eyes. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and obviously he. Everybody wants a, a slice of Peter Sagan and. Yeah. He did a really lovely little video, uh, 2015, before he won the world in Richmond. We went to the, uh, again, when I was with GCM, we went to the Vuelta. That year he got taken off. Remember he got hit by a motorbike? Yeah. And then halfway through, or off about nine days. So the day before the start, they, the Tinkoff Saxo team went for a ride and I joined them and we did this little video, me and Peter Sagan. And I said, look, I want to do some tricks and stuff. And he was fine, but you didn't really... Whatever you said to him, you didn't really get a sense that he understood it, but he'd say yes anyway. And it, it was it was almost as if in real time there was a there we were like on satellite. So I was chatting to him in real time. I was he was there, but his response would be like three second delay. And it was it was so just it was just weird. Um, and it but it was wonderful. But that I really had to I I loved it, but it was awkward. But it still made for some really good viewing. But that was, he's always the hardest person because you just don't know what you're going to get. You just do not know what you're going to get with him. Even though he knows me a bit, you just don't know. I just assume him to be like the puppy. The one who, would just, not necessarily that would go off on a on a verbal tangent, but somebody who just, you're talking to him, all of a sudden he flips a wheelie and takes off or something like that. But Yeah, yeah I mean, for the opening, I mean, we didn't have a lot of time with him because obviously when you go to a live event like that and you've been given a bit of time to, you know, you can't say, oh, can we just do that again? It's like, no, no, we've got to do this now. <laughs> yeah. So we did this opening sequence and then we went on this 80K ride and we had one hit at it and he rode into shot. I did an intro, intro on, on a bench outside their hotel. He rode into shot, but he actually rode over my foot and it really hurt. <laughs> um, and I, we left it in the video and I, I got a big bruise on my toe and he just rode over my foot, but we couldn't do it again. So I was like, oh, cheers, mate. And then we just left it in. It was just this really awkward start. But it kind of fitted with the way he is. But he's, I, I love him. I love him. Can I mention uh, the character Kenny Van Vlamick? Can I yeah, mention yeah. him? On, okay, I didn't know if that was, you know, if somebody owned the rights to that character or something like that. Uh, it's all, 
it's uh, all in the hands of uh, Kenny's agent. Yeah, um, okay. Who okay. happens to be me. Yeah, um, yeah. Sadly. Tell me where this came about, and um, was it expected? It's, it, was this just something I'm, I'm stammering here because it's such a hilarious bit and it's such a funny character to to sit back and watch um, in terms of the creation of that and how it all went out. Well, I talked to you earlier about Ned Bolting, uh, yeah. who uh, is, a, is a dear friend of mine and obviously a broadcaster on a rival channel, basically. Uh, he's on a, a, a broadcast for ITV on the tour. I say rival, they've just obviously got the rights. Yeah. But, um, we, my first tour of Britain as a pundit was working with Ned. So Ned was the InVision presenter and I was the pundit in Vision. We weren't commentating. We were before the show, after the show kind of presenting team. And um, we got on really well. And I'd, I'd always done this voice. Ken, I'd always done Kenny's voice, but hadn't, I never gave a name to it. And it was based on my experiences as a, as a young rider racing in France and Belgium and interacting with Belgian DSs who speak in this wonderful way. You know, they've got this really obviously heavy accent. They, they speak wonderful english but the grammar's just slightly off and and that's where the comedy is is the grammar the way they speak the way they turn certain phrases around with the same intention but it's delivered unintentionally in a comedic style and and i and, and i love the way that language can do that and it, it's it's really some people say oh that's a bit that's a bit racist that it's like well it's not i, I i'm just there's there's a charm in it i know and Nobody's ever accused me, and I really do push it with, with Kenny. You know, I, I really push. I can say some really bizarre things that I wouldn't ever say myself. Um, <laughs> but it was just basically me and Ned in our downtime, because once we'd done the opening sequence, we'd then just sit and watch the race on telly. I would just bum around, go and get coffees. So we'd just riff. And I did this voice, and he said, what's that? And I said, I don't know. It's just, just this, this guy. <laughs> and, and he did come up. With the name, I think. I can't remember if I came up with Kenny and he came up with Van Vlamink, or I came up with Van Vlamink and he came up with Kenny, but we came up with it jointly. And then he came up with a team name, Germaloids, Schleppers. And and <laughs> and we we said so we were just riffing and then we and then I said, Why don't we just why don't we film it? So we got the producer who was running the show, gave him our phone. No, he used his phone, filmed it and uploaded it to his own YouTube channel. <laughs> and then it just spiraled from there and then i started doing it and interviewing riders and then i got kit made and then i did like stand up um and then i've got, yeah got some merchandise and stuff and i just have fun with it so he's kind of a bit dormant at the moment but he'll come back but thank god yeah <laughs> i gotta tell you one of, one of my regulars uh, and co-hosts on the show paul would he's he's a gigantic fan and he's got the full kit obviously Nice. And um, I can't tell you how many times he's looked at me, especially with Patrick's peas, uh, you know, in terms of my name, and he'll just hand me some peas during a ride or something like that. And, it's just, and, and he he found it before I did, so he would be, you know, talking about Patrick's peas, and I'm going, "What do you? What the hell?" And he he sent me the first link, and from there on, it was it was out of control. So. Um, nah. All right. Nice. I, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, please know that I know you do something similar to this. I swear again, I'm not stealing a bit from you, but this is a, a tradition in this show where it's fair to turn the turn the mic around and do some sort of a, a, a rapid fire. And I think these are fun to do because you get to find out so much about somebody in such a short amount of time. So um, I'm going to throw some quick questions at you and you can just respond with the first thing that pops into your head if that's fine. Okay. All right. Of course. Okay, complete the sentence. Man, if I had only had blank like these current punks do, I'd have been even better. Fill in the blank. <laughs> Say that again? 
man, if I'd only had like these current punks do, I'd have been even better. Um, <laughs> oh, time. Okay, okay. That's not bad. Uh, worst part of being a cycling commentator. No ads. No ads. Okay, that's true. You don't get a break. Because, well, we used to, but now, oh, from the last from from last year, all the broadcasts of from this year, they're going to be flagged to line more. But um, yeah, we we don't stop for the ad breaks. So when the ad breaks come on, we comic we keep commentating for digital platforms. Yeah. So no ads. Oh it's man. Like, Whoa. So I've undone my belt in the middle of a broadcast and just just waited. I was going to ask if you, if, what do you do about bathroom breaks? But now I apparently know. That's what. <laughs> you have to time it. Specific uh, beat well, we, we do get them, but uh, quite often it's, uh, it, it can be quite tense, especially towards the back end of a race when it gets exciting. You can't just leave. Yeah. Well, so, this, yeah, no this kind of takes, I guess, something away from the next question then, because you could basically use the same answer. Something people don't realize about you. And you could say that you've, you know, urinated during a, a race commentary, but, you know, maybe something else. Um, I might choose something different. Good. Something people people don't know about me. That's really, oh, because I wear my heart heart on my sleeve. Really, that um, <laughs> uh, I I'm currently wearing my pajamas underneath. Oh, the people get say, oh the fl the plaid <laughs> the pla okay that plaid black and white flannel for those of you who, who who weren't able to see that. But he's pulling it off very nicely with a Star Wars shirt with a jacket over the top of that. So that's that's a Actually, good combination. I, I had a little teddy bear that I took to races until I was 21. Really? Okay. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, best bike you've ever owned? See, because this could go with nostalgia. This could go with yeah. modern technology. I'm going to have to go with nostalgia. I think it will be the first non-secondhand bike that I had, and it was a Vitus 979. Uh, in 1988 or something that my dad bought me. All my bikes before then had been secondhand, and uh, I finally got to a level that my dad said, okay, we can get you a new, new, new frame. The kit was secondhand, but the frame was new. And uh, that was just, God, that was just, that was amazing. And I, I can still remember the feeling now. Because, um, you know, I'm so lucky to still get to use really nice kit. And, and they're, yeah. they're great. New bikes are great, but that was the one that hits me in the feels. I used to ride those bikes, and you—you you, you can see from the camera, I'm not a tiny person. So me, me on on a Vitus was basically just all wrong. I remember they had a weight limit, and I think at, at my lightest, I was at the weight limit when I was really you know, racing fit. And I remember watching that bottom bracket just basically flipping back and forth, hitting my ankles while I was pedaling. But those were great. <laughs> yeah, bikes. I, I I was pretty light, and I could still make that that flex a bit. But hey, that was. Uh... <laughs> That was what that was what they were like, wasn't yeah, it? You know, blimey. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, favorite pre-ride beverage? It's coffee. Coffee. What now? What style? You you okay. mentioned earlier. Um, you know. I, I'm. At the, well, for the last eight year, the style is oat milk. So basically, okay. it's it's a it's a hybrid. It's basically a cross between a latte, a cappuccino, and a flat white. Um, so it's a, it's a triple espresso shot with oh. hot frothed up oat milk and it's like oh and it's because everything's shut now yeah i'm just drinking coffee at home but um yeah an oat milk flat white before the ride and then want to get back as well 
Okay, so that ends my that ends my my next question would be a post ride beverage. So okay, that's that's good to yeah, know. It d- depends depends on the. I mean, a cup of tea is quite nice post ride, okay. but these days I come back and just have another coffee. So it's so so nice with a nice bit of cake. Oh, very nice. Um, the time to put on arrow bars is, and I'm giving you a multiple choice on this one: always, never, or only in a time trial. Only in a time trial. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> You're pleased with that answer. I am very pleased with that one. Uh, how yeah, many? Don't look. Not be funny. Don't go out training, guys, yeah. with your mates with a pair of TT bars on. Just don't. Friends don't let friends ride with <laughs> TT bars. <laughs> uh, how many bikes do you currently own? I only own two bikes because all the bikes I get are like on a rotor basis. So okay. I deal, all my bikes come through Sigma Sports now. And whatever bike they want me to ride, I will ride for a certain amount of months. And I'm off next week, actually, to, because I've been in lockdown, um, I'm off next week to do a ride, uh, a kind of review of my six months with the Cervelo Caledonia. So that's the bike I've got. And the only two bikes I own are two Bromptons. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't actually, my dad's got my bike when I won the national championships. He has that. But all the bikes of previous years have just been on loan, and I, I don't really have a need to buy a bike, if you know what I mean. There's, I yeah. just, not, I, to be honest, I'd like to, but it wouldn't get used. So, um, so I, I only own two Bromptons, yeah. Well, for those of us on the working class of the podcasting world, and and we don't have bikes coming through on a regular basis, I just want to say that. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, insert jealous <laughs> mental mental thoughts there, but that's okay. No, that's fine. <laughs> Best place to ride a bike other than your hometown? Oh, I really do like that question because, um, again, been so lucky to ride all over the world, um, and this place I haven't been to for a while. It's where my dad's from, and it's in it's, it's in Cornwall. Uh, it's it's in the southwest of England. Yeah. Um, you know, heading towards Land's End, that kind of neck of the woods. It's a beautiful, rugged area, very, very hilly, very green, very lush, with beautiful country lanes. And to, just to put it in, obviously, you know what UK looks like. It's just that leg that goes off down the left-hand yeah. side at the bottom. That's Devon and Cornwall. Um, but there's more roads, miles of roads in the De- in Devon and Cornwall than the whole of Spain. Wow. Okay. It's just, it, if you look at it on a map, it's like, it's like somebody's foot, all blood, the blood vessels in a hand or an, or, a, or an arm. It is just incredible. You can just get lost. Wow. And they're really, there's a unique, not all the roads, but a lot of the roads in Cornwall, because the country's so, it, the countryside's so up and down, the roads are cut through the hillside. So they're, they're, they've got banked walls either side with hedges going over the top. And they, there's like these little passing places because there's not enough for two cars. It's absolutely insane and then you've got all these coast roads dropping into these little beaches and bays fishing villages it's magical wow. that's my favorite place okay uh best cyclist ever and you cannot say mercs that's just too easy Ooh, best cyclist ever i think it, again it, it you're never going to get the kind of you can never give the right answer here because it's no. um it's completely subjective, isn't it? It is. So I, I guess, I guess, still for me, because of what he won, uh, I'd say back up when I was growing up, it had to be Sean. It's, it probably still is actually. Maybe Sean Kelly. Okay, never won the world, but to win all the classics that he won, and then to win a Grand Tour, the, the Vuelta, yeah. 
um, I would say Kelly. Sean I would Kelly. too. It, it was, by the way, we're, we're exactly the same in age, and you mentioned putting people up on posters and the walls and stuff like that, and I had I had every cutout from, of Sean Kelly all over the place. So that was just... <laughs> really, he's a lo- he's, do you know what? He's such a lovely guy, and I've yeah. had the, uh, the pleasure to work with him over the last few years, and hopefully through this year at some point as well, uh, depending on COVID, but he's just a lovely guy. So, so professional, but like understated, and just, you wouldn't know he's if you didn't know you wouldn't know sean kelly he just doesn't brag or anything he just he's just a lovely a lovely lovely guy but so sharp so sharp so switched on oh man favorite band or musician um my favorite band at the moment and 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 i've got a few but i would say right now the band i'm listening to the most is the strokes great Um, choice because they just that album the the new album the new abnormal which dropped in april and i saw them i went to i took my son and my wife and my wife's sorry and my son's girlfriend to uh, brooklyn to see them uh for new year's eve in 2020 20, 20 yeah 2020 2019 2020 and um they've been my, one of my favorite bands for a long time along with queens of the stone age oh. so at the moment it's the strokes You've got great taste. I like it. I like it. And that is being completely selfish and personal there, but I'm, I'm going to say you've got great taste. Uh, <laughs> last one thing you hate most about bike racers. I kind of just... Well, most, of the, most, most of them are decent, but I think the thing that still winds me up, and I see it, and I do call... And I, and I make no bones about it. I call it out on telly now. Um, is people riders who chuck litter? Oh, okay. Uh, so that's that's the kind of work. It's like because you know we do. It's it's a kind of noble sport, I think, but it's unacceptable now to chuck things off at the side of the road. I've done it in the past. We all have, but I, I don't do it anymore. And there's actually there's one of the I think it's Kaharural or the first team to have. You might have seen it on the web. They've got this little pocket at the side of the jersey which is for old gel wrappers and stuff it's, just, it's the first i don't know why i can't it's pretty no, your normal yeah. pocket but i mean it what is it so yeah please don't throw litter I, that's 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 a nice one so before i even get to the conclusion here first of all thank you so much for your time this is almost so much fun and 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 that's having right. having some sort of uh, comedic personality out there is always such a welcome relief because sometimes people take things way too seriously in all this, and uh, and and as cyclists we deal with elitism all the time and you know riders tending to think that they've got some sort of a higher status than other people and it's so nice to yeah. be able to sit back and tune in and, and laugh at ourselves and that's what uh, y- you do so well and thank you for that so um usually this is where i tell people where to find you but i have a feeling people probably know where to find you but there are, are there any plugs or anything coming up that you'd like to to mention to the audience and say hey go check this out or anything like that yeah i mean um you, you'll hear me i mean the, the, you guys in america will hear me more this year commentating on a lot of races than than, my, than uh, they will at home so yeah you'll hopefully you'll hear me this this year um wherever you kind of watch cycling in the states and there are quite a lot of platforms now but i think um most of my stuff that i do now from a digital perspective is sigma sports um a company just a bike shop a big bike shop in the uk r- run by my best friend um he, he ran it from his bedroom in 1989 as a mail order thing now it's doing really well and i help make their digital content slightly curtailed right now obviously yeah. but we have a podcast and it's called matt stevens unplugged where i do 
this to once a week and we've done 21 now started in lockdown so head over to sigmasports.com and there's and if you tune into their youtube channel as well we've got a lot of digital content where i do do a podcast on the cafe ride basically so i've so basically the cafe ride and the podcast is something that um if you see my gcn stuff in the past this is the new stuff i'm doing so yeah um subscribe to sigma sports and, and check out my stuff on there that Thank that you. format that that cafe ride format is something that i've always just imagined would be the greatest way to present this style of an interview where you the riders at their most comfortable most of those conversations on rides my, i'll come home from a three four hour ride and my wife will ask me what'd you talk about and i'll almost not know anymore because you just enter into a completely different state of mind and that's what makes it so yeah. enjoyable oh yeah. definitely i think uh you, you i used I used to train a lot on my own because I preferred to, but then the rides that you arrived, you know, you do with other people, the time just, just goes like that and you just waffle on. And it's, I think it's good for the soul as well, just to go out on a bike ride and speak to a good friend about maybe nothing in particular. Like you can't even remember what you, like you just said, you, you can't remember what you spoke about, but they're, they're good for the soul. Well, Matthew Stevens, thank you so much for your time. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being that voice, as I mentioned earlier. And um, boy, let's, let's, I'm going to knock on wood that, uh, the 2021 season uh, provides us with a lot more opportunities to hear your voice. That's very kind. Thanks very much. And thanks for inviting me on Patrick. Cheers. So there you are. By the way, I'm back in the studio. Our power's back on in case you were worried, in case you were, you know, concerned about how things are going. Uh, no major damage to my home or structures or anything like that. However, uh, I look out the window and across the street, our neighbors right into the roof uh, garage is, is smashed and things like that. So we've got some rebuilding to do here in the great city of Spokane, Washington. And, um, yeah, we will rebuild. You know, there's a reason why we live here, and sometimes it comes with a cost. So Matthew Stevens, if you have not listened to the Sigma Sport podcast, you definitely should do it. I don't usually plug other people's podcasts, but the good ones definitely deserve it, and this is a good one. Um, the opening bit I did there where I was drinking something, if if you haven't listened, listened to Matthew's show yet, you, you'll get the joke, and uh, you should. You definitely should. Fun guy, great to be around. Well, I guess I would guess great to be around. I've never been around him. That's really weird. Why did I say that? I don't know why I said that, but I'm not going to delete it because, you know, I want to be around people. We're stuck here. I'm in a basement all by myself and COVID's everywhere. So keep your fingers crossed, you guys. Uh, you know, if you're going out on a ride, stick it to a small group so we can all do events come this year. I guess that's what I'm asking. And listen to a lot of podcasts. Stay tuned. We got more coming. I got more interviews on the on the docket, and we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff. Don't forget about Club Pack Filler. All the information is getting posted on our website, and we're going to have all kinds of goodies coming your way. Talk to you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.